podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Pod four seventy two, uh, and it's well, it's been a fantastic bank holiday weekend. I think everyone can agree. Um, Palace result aside, uh, but Brighton got smashed at home. Uh, Millwall didn't make the playoffs, and uh, Palace are now officially safe. So this is a celebration episode, uh, which I'm absolutely delighted to get into with Dom Firefield. Hello, Dom. How are you? Hey, JD. All fine, thank you. Um, yes, mathematically safe. Aren't we all happy? Would you like to tell the listeners what whose seat you're sitting in right now, where, where you are coming from live? <laughs> well, I am I'm in the Athletics Stroke um well podcast studio, which is used by Totally. The name had actually forgot I'd forgotten the name there just for a second. So <laughs> it's probably a sackable offence. So I'm actually sitting in James Richardson's seat. Um and I can promise None of the wit and repartee that he delivers on a weekly basis, uh, but plenty of the espresso. I was about to say, but at least you do an espresso. Yeah, I should have said the athletics, Dom Firefield. I apologise. Um, but this man needs uh, probably an improved uh, introduction. It's um, TVs slash uh, football <laughs> cliches uh, slash basically every other podcast out there. Uh, Jack Pierce. Jack, thanks for gracing us with your presence. But always FYPs. Always FYPs, Jack Pierce. FYP, ride, ride or die. Ride or die. Are we saying that Jack's now become a bit of a media whore? I mean, you said it. I didn't say it. I'm not saying it, but Jim Jim keeps telling me that in WhatsApp messages. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Jim is saying that. <laughs> it's lovely to hear your to to hear your input, Jack. Elsewhere, it's great. The the claws of FYP. You guys, oh. you guys get like audio, Jack, whereas other podcasts get kind of written contribution, Jack. Mm. Yeah, I think of like old school mailbag Jack. That's who goes to football cliches. Mailbag Jack. That sounds mailbag like a horrendous Jack. nickname that we won't dive into. <laughs> my stri- that was actually my stripper name, but yeah, didn't really oh, work. Dear. Oh, Sorry, guys. What a start to the. It's been a cracking start, and uh, let's let's before we do that, before we talk about anything, should we do a drum roll for a completely random, totally random patron? Should we even bother anymore? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's the only thing that keeps me going. Um, <laughs> here we go. Drumroll, it's Mr. Robert Billington. It's Rob, it's Rob Billington. It's Rob yeah. Billington. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I assume he's a Robert. Anyway, Rob, thank you for joining the Patreon. What a legend. Um, still haven't heard from you, so do let us know if you're okay. Um, we will start sending the search party out at some point. Um, when, when are we thinking line in the sand for Rob Billington? Just end of the end, season? End of the season. 
Or, or maybe until, maybe once we hear from him. Just the next time we do a live show and the surprise guest is going to be the obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You thought it was going to be Darren Ambrose. It's much better. Anyway, uh, you can join the Patreon like Rob uh, and get um, post-match pods, Patreon-only merchandise and access the Patreon-only Discord club at patreon.com slash podcast. Link is below uh the pod in the uh, podcast show notes um shout out for sponsors now no sponsor this week but if you fancy sponsoring the pod do get in contact we love promoting local palace supporting businesses uh and we've got various packages so get in contact contact at fypfanzine.uk is our email or any of the social channels um what would you guys rather talk about palace losing at spurs palace getting safe mathematically or Brighton or Millwall having terrible bank holidays. <laughs> Can we start with Palace and then maybe we'll come on to the, to the other ones later on? Because um, it was Dom, a 1-0 defeat at uh, Tottenham. Uh, you know who got the goal. He seems to always score against um, Palace. It was actually his only shot on target, I believe. Um, and I've seen various reviews. Some fans, very angry Palace didn't go for it against a objectively out of form or out of sorts team. Uh, but other people quite satisfied with the performance. Actually, Palace did give it a go. And the difference being a world-class striker uh, finishing his chance. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's, I don't want to say naive. I think it's a bit, um, I don't know, churlish to, to suggest that Palace didn't give it a go. I, I think the, the calibre of opposition comes into it. And although Tottenham have been struggling, they do still have, good players they had a new game plan for this for this match after a week of of training under Ryan Mason where whereby they they switched formations when they didn't have the ball and and that palace found it very difficult to break that down but actually i thought that the visitors performance was was pretty good from a from a mid table team against a team that is going to be in europe of some kind most likely for next season um, they, they created pretty much the same number of chances as Spurs. They had quite a bit of the ball. They pinged some very nice passes. Um, they looked a threat at times on the counter attack, particularly when when Zaha was liberated in the in the second half, and when Elise was given time on the other flank. But yeah, it, ultimately it, it boiled down to the the one big difference between those teams at the top competing for high level European qualifications and, and and the teams stuck in mid table in that log jam in there. One striker who can put the ball into the back of the net is what sets you apart. Palace lack that. They don't have a a presence really in, in the six yard box. They haven't had a presence there really most of the season. Um, Harry Kane only needed that one chance to, to beat them, um, and that—that's that—that that will be where Palace are, and until until they find a solution to provide some bite up top. There were a few half chances, weren't there, Jack, for for Palace? Uh, maybe none as um, I haven't seen the xG, uh, but none as open as zero point three seven. I think it was zero point three seven. Right, and I'm guessing Spurs was probably higher than that, given the zero point eight eight. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. Like just it just this is what happens when he sits in Jimbo's chair. They're just reeling off the stats off the top of. I just head. saw that on match of the day. I think I think they they quoted that on match of the day on Saturday. But but yeah, but I mean that that's a fair reflection, isn't it? Really considering the quality of chances both teams produced. Yeah, well, it wasn't a chance heavy game. No. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, Jack, if you, your appraisal was, was was similar to Dom's and whether you were fairly satisfied. As an, I know you were there as an away fan in the away end that, that Palace maybe did what they could against, as, as Tom says, you know, top six, top 17. Yeah, I think Dom's point there about bite at the top of the pitch is probably the key um, 
Jordan Ayew showed some nice touches, but in terms of hold-up play, he got out-fought really by by the three centre-halves and Hoiberg picked anything up that he could playing in the deep line midfield uh, with Oliver Skip too. So, tough afternoon for him. Um, so, essentially, we didn't create that much. Some lovely play from, from both sides, from Elise and, and particularly Wilfred Zaha, who I thought was probably our best player actually on the pitch, despite not having a, a moment per se. But... Um, yeah, struggled, I would say struggled for the first half an hour of the second half. I don't think we really threatened um, that many times, given that we were chasing a game with the pressure off. I think we could have been a little bit more expansive in our forward play. But as Dom says, you have to respect who we're playing, where we're playing. I know they're bang out of form at the moment, but they've got players that can turn it on very, very quickly. And there were passages of play from Spurs where they get up the pitch incredibly quickly through particularly Son and, and Harry Kane. You know, I know everyone talks about his goals and rightly so, but some of his um, his kind of tactical play from a deep line position. His, I mean, his goal comes from a wonderful bit of vision from him where he spreads the play so quickly for a pass that I don't think anybody really saw was on. Pedro Porro, who Spurs fans are saying had his best game in a Spurs shot on Saturday, puts in a great cross and maybe you could say Joel Ward should be doing a little bit better for the goal, but you could say it's an absolutely pinpoint cross and Harry Kane does what Harry Kane does. So, yeah, 1-0, difficult result to take. and You never want to lose away from home, particularly when you do think there's a chance, but... Um, I don't think many of us will be remembering that game for for a very long time, to be honest. It did seem uh, a bit of an end-of-season match and not helped by some officiating, but maybe we'll come on to Mr D England of Barnsley in a bit. Oh, oh, we will. We absolutely will. On the goal then, Dom, we've got a question from Chris McCartney, 56. Hello, Chris. Hey, Chris. Hi, Chris. Will we ever learn to defend crosses into the box from open play and set pieces? Obviously, following on from the West Ham game last weekend, we'll be letting three of our four corners that we'd conceded. Uh, and Jack makes a good point. The goal itself, and I said this on the post-match pod, I actually mm-hmm. think it, it's a kind of series of, of sloppy defending because Kane does very well to get the ball in the middle and lob it out to the right to Porro. But that in itself uh, was a worry how much space Porro had. And then as it comes in, Wardy completely misjudges the flight of the ball and gets his gets his leap wrong. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? And I guess this conceding from crosses is becoming an issue for you, prob- a problem? Um, not so much crosses, set plays, a bit alarming. I mean, Romero hitting the bar with a fairly routine header early on was slightly alarming on, on the back of the West Ham performance. But and I, I suspect that Bournemouth will really test that on Saturday again. I think they will, teams will have identified that as a proper weakness now at Palace. That, that lack of height, we don't have a, I mean, Anderson's quite tall, but there's no looming presence in that back line and and, and no centre forward who can come back and help defend. I know Selzy talks about this on the post-match pod quite often, but it's that is again another another issue. But, but I mean, generally speaking, crosses. I, I wouldn't. I, I think it was a good delivery, and and Tarek Mitchell on that side was probably caught between defending narrow, which makes life difficult. And for opponents, and and really, Poro producing a a very very good cross, and he he doesn't do that every week. I mean, that was as you say, that was his best performance for for Spurs uh, by by general account on, of, of of Tottenham supporters. Um, and maybe we were we were flummoxed a bit by that by the changing system again there because Poro became a wing back. Um, 
so easily when 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 Spurs were had the ball, um, and it and and the, the sharpness of of Kane to switch that that pass out wide left the the back line sort of disorganized to a certain extent, but maybe pulled it slightly out of position. The cross is a decent cross. Wardy does get caught under it, but you know he's he's at the back post. Effectively, he's gone past two centre halves to get the, get to him, um, and it's frustrating. Yeah, and and, and Harry Kane has, has planted a very good header down, but I thought quite close to to Johnston. Mm. I mean, again, it'd be nice to have Celsius take on that at some point, but the uh, it was difficult because it was you know he's headed it down and and quickly, mm. so there's a lot of pace on it, a lot of power, um, but. I wonder whether he's not put it in the corner. He's he's put it through Johnson really, um, as he's gone down to his right. So d- disappointing concession, and and the most disappointing thing was it was it was so deep into stoppage time at the end of the first half. I was say, yeah, you got there. You're there. Then you're virtually in. That's the last action of the, the half. And they didn't warrant a goal. They didn't. They didn't warrant a half time. No, not no. at all. It, it was a very nil nil at half time kind of game. Um, both teams feeling each other out. So to go in 1-0 down dictates the approach for both teams in the second half, really, and probably skewed the half-time message that Roy and Ray were thinking they were going to give the Palace side. So, yeah, uh, there's never a good time to concede, but that was particularly, <laughs> particularly bad time to concede. And it's like at Leeds the other week, we did the same. We Exactly. We That's very pl- true. plucked an equaliser in the first half stoppage time and ended up running right at the second half. But it might have been very different had that... Really poor free kick not being conceded in that game. So, you know, it is what But Romero's header um, off the bar, I think, was either the first or middle of a sequence of corners that Tottenham had. And, and it mm. did strike the away end as quite the panic station situation for Palace. There, there did seem to be a lack of confidence in terms of organising and, and attacking the ball. But then I think we did kind of win the final one very convincingly. And from that moment on, set pieces weren't really an issue. But, you know, as, as you both say, the, the goal comes from across from a wide area. So you trust that the coaching staff will look at that and they'll have to do it. But there ultimately is a lack of height in that penalty box from set pieces. And and Bournemouth, and we'll come on to Bournemouth at the end of the pod, but Bournemouth, they're a big side. You know, Solanke, Billing, centre-halves, Lerma. There's um there's a, a group of big guys in that team and and they'll fancy their chances and it'll be on whoever putting set pieces in Ryan Christie or Marcus Tavernier, whoever's putting the ball in will will be on mission to put it in as as risky a place for Palace on Saturday because we are very susceptible to them at the moment. Yeah, and there is a difference, as Dom says, to set piece defending and open play crosses. Um shall we move on to Mr. T- Mr. D England, then uh, Jack. We have had many questions. Uh, Magic Cheese seventy two. Uh, Magic. Magic straight in with how does a referee get a job as a referee when he can't actually referee? Asking for a friend says Magic. Uh, Muncher nineteen sixty seven. Make of that username what you will. <laughs> says um, why is Darren England seen as a Premier League standard ref when quite clearly he's not up to the task? And then I should give some context around this because there's other people that have done similar questions. Uh, Ricky B. Eric, he says, um, given the talent we possess, why do we seem so poor at dealing with our uh, opposition's housery? I've, I've edited there. Um, and indeed fall for it. And Son A says, I know every team does it, but Spurs were on the floor more times than they were actually playing second half. Do you think there's got to be more cards shown for time-wasting and another punishment brought in? This was something, chat that really irked Palace fans during the game, wasn't it? Spurs, uh, time-wasting tactics and Darren England by all accounts, falling for it. I think um, I'll, be, I'll try and be quite measured here, but the, when I left the, the away end on, 
on Saturday. I didn't feel like Darren England cost us the, the result. And I've got to say that up front. I don't think there was any decision, particular decision, or his approach led us to having a decreased chance of of picking up a point. Um, what I found with Darren England, I found this every time he has refereed us, and I think it's now six or seven games, um, you know, Liverpool this season, uh, Spurs, uh, sorry, Newcastle at home last season. Um, there's another one, West Ham at home last season. I think the overriding emotion that, that or the overriding uh, reaction to Darren England's officiating of matches is his lack of control of situations and his seemingly um, inability to manage situations better. And I think other teams have cottoned onto that. And what I would say about Darren England's performance, particularly the last 15, 10, 15 minutes, is while he didn't decrease our opportunity of um, picking up a point with a particular decision, I don't think there was a proper game of football occurring in that last 10 to 15 minutes because of how much he fell for the housery of, of Spurs. Um, he wasn't helped by his assistant on uh, on uh, at the Spurs' end. Uh, who I think was the official caught up in the uh, Andy Robertson elbowing situation. He, I recognised him. I think it's him. But so though he's a high-profile referee. Um, but Darren England, I, I just don't think he is right now. And I say this having done some research this morning. He's just been appointed to the FIFA referee list. So, so maybe I'm completely wrong here. But I, I just don't think he is at the level where he should be officiating Premier League matches. And in answer to a question just asked then, Darren England was an assistant referee. He was appointed with Michael Oliver. They did a lot of Champions League stuff together. So by that, you presume that Darren England was considered one of the finest assistant referees in the country. He may very well have been. If he was Michael Oliver, who's deemed to be the the most consistent and high-performing referee, then that makes sense. I think Darren England has been fast-tracked into refereeing um, because of that relationship and his experience there. And it could have worked, and you'd think that would be a good grounding. But we've seen it too many times now as Palace fans that the guy just cannot officiate at a consistent level and the top flight. And I just left the ground on, on Saturday thinking that what we just didn't really have a chance of picking up a point with the way he managed the last game. He fell for literally everything, for everything Spurs threw at him. He blew. He very cosy with Harry Kane, which I think is a terrible look for referees. Harry Kane and him were, were talking and hands on backs throughout the game, the second half. Um, and at the end of the game, Harry Kane was almost providing kind of security for Darren England's Palace players approached him to, to voice their discontent. So very uncomfortable afternoon for Darren England on Saturday, but that does seem to be the the kind of ending of, of every game in which he's officiating Crystal Palace at the moment. Um, Dom, they all... The, team... the, the, the end. The end. <laughs> um, Dom, they, they all do it, and they teams all do this. Maybe, maybe Palace less so than others, but most teams do the kind of... Uh, time-wasting tactics, diversion tactics, all this kind of stuff. It's part of the game. It's not just Spurs, is it? I think Palace do it as much as anyone else. I, 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 I don't really get this, to be honest. I'm sorry, Jack. I, no, no. It's frustrating, definitely, when you, you're chasing a game and you, and and certainly if you see that a, a refereeing a referee appearing to cosy up to some members of the opposition team, um, high-profile members of the opposition team. But I mean, I've just looked now. He's 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 done. Th- Three Palace games this season. Man City away, Liverpool at home, Tottenham away. Last season he did three as well. I, I don't remember. I, I think I went to all three of them last year. And I don't. The Leeds one was frustrating towards the end, but uh, a nil-nil draw, I think he did. But I'm just, I don't know. I, I find it very difficult to get wound up 
on this score because I think it's all about the context of the game. Mm. If Palace had been one nil up and Jordan I had been tumbling every time anyone came vaguely close to him, we would have probably put it down as very good game management. There's a good case in point this weekend, actually, at St James's Park on Sunday, where where Eddie Howe comes out whinging about Arsenal shithousery. Sorry, JD. Uh, and and basically because the arch shithouses in the division, Newcastle United under Eddie Howe, have been shit housed off the pitch by Arsenal, which it's it's just about context. Score an only goal, score a goal, get ahead, you're playing catch up, waste a bit of time, break up rhythm, disrupt. It's how Palace have had to address every game they've ever played against an, an elite team in the Premier League since they were promoted. It's how they've done it. They've maybe not done it with the sort of Portuguese Latin flair of a Wolves or or, or some of the, the know-how, can he know-how maybe ingrained in, in in that Spurs team from a succession of coaches from Mourinho through to Pochettino through to Antonio Conte and now Ryan Mason. It's it's it is what happens in in the game and it's it's frustrating, but it's not going to change. And Palace are as guilty of doing it as anyone else when they're clinging onto a lead. Yeah, I guess as well there is the context that obviously Spurs are desperate for any sort of result at the moment. So I imagine maybe it probably was more of a factor of their game because they were going through such a terrible run and spell and they're a complete shambles that they'd have seen this game as a chance to, you know, get three points back on the board. And probably after going one new up, thought, let's just try whatever we can to get the result, especially against the Palace team who actually did try and bring a game against them. Um, but it is, I'm, I agree, it's frustrating. And I, I do I do think the level of officiating that at the moment is particularly poor in the Premier League. A lot, a lot of refs, not just Mr. England, seem to struggle to... It's, it's not the only reason. I mean, if you're thinking of particular decisions, you could probably lay claim at... Roy not bringing Nods and Edward on until the 85th minute rather than the 65th minute and things like that. So in terms of decision, I, I just felt that there, just, there was a, a weird atmosphere in terms of Spurs. And, and JD, your point is probably fair here in that Spurs adopted such tactics so early on. You know, typically you see teams start to play the clock with with five minutes to go and injury time to come. But they they were going very, very early. I don't know. There were just certain instances. And maybe maybe I've got it wrong about Darren England and... and it's fair to point out he's only refereed a few games, but I do think he's had some particular stinkers um, while officiating Palace. And and I said it last week. I, I, I he he drains my confidence in going to watch a game more so than most other referees at the moment. And we talked about he was not he was appointed for this game before last week, and I suspected he'd have a crap game, and he did. But he didn't cost us anything, and I want to make that clear. He didn't cost us, but I just think in terms of officiating game, I think his game management could be better. Are there any? Well, my, other... no, my, I agree, Dom, that all teams will do this, but I think some referees are better. Michael Oliver did it last night. I think Forrest tried to fall over many times while Southampton were chasing the game, but Oliver does seem to to buy a lot less of it than some other referees, England included. Um, are there any refs you like, Jack? <laughs> uh, no, referees like Graham Scott, who seem to be quite unassuming and just kind of get on with games and just kind of let the, the flow of the game go a bit more I, th- I think referees like like uh, Craig Pawson to some extent Darren England they're sometimes a little bit too officious but that's, but then again they, they'd be critiqued if they weren't officious like, there's no win for them with football fans and I say that as someone who has been a qualified referee in the past it's not a particularly easy game it's an enjoyable thing but it's it's no fun knowing you're going to be pissing someone off um, particularly as a professional referee when you know you're pissing off 3,000 people with, in person and many other thousands watching at home 
Yeah, it is, it is a thankless job. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's definitely. I'm not my little my little take on on that. I'm not saying that I I, I welcome this level of gamesmanship into it. I find it as frustrating as anybody. And when I'm watching a game as a neutral, it's frustrating, but it's also laughable at times. And <laughs> and it's frustrating if, if if a referee does appear to buy into it. But then I guess. I feel a level of sympathy for them. Um, my my lad has has started refereeing. He's fourteen. He's he started refereeing, and and this type of thing happens in mm. under twelves football that yeah. he's refereeing now because they see all these guys see and, and and girls see their heroes up on the screen rolling around as if they've been, you know, kicked up in the air when actually there's contact's been minimal. Um, they take forever. They, the the favourite one is when the goalkeeper just gathers a ball and then flops on their front and just lies lies there looking the, up. The, at the, the Allison yeah. move. Yeah, and that, that they do that in junior football now, and it's not great. It's a it's a frustration, but but it's I, I don't think I don't think that uh, I think every club does it. I think Palace are just as guilty as anyone else are doing. It. And I think if you spoke to like a I don't know, let's, let's think Manchester City fan when we were 2-0 up at, at the Etihad earlier in the season. I'm sure Vicente Guaita probably got a hell of a lot of grief for time-wasting in that match at that point. Didn't Not so Pepe, much when we were 4-2 down. Pep, Pep, had a, Pep had a go at Guaita, didn't he? I, I, yeah, I, I'm sure there was a home incident. game, yeah. I think. But I, th- I think influenced by the um, the Newcastle angle at the moment, they've there's been some analysis, I think, completed maybe by Dom's home parish, um, the Athletic, in terms of the most commonly time-wasting goalkeepers and, and Vinny is on that list. So I take your point, Don. And Jordan Ayew, you know, is is top of the list for most fouls won this <laughs> season for a reason as well. So we we certainly do earn it. Um, you know, it, it's just frustrating in, in light of the result on, on Saturday. And, and and the number of questions being that I think quite a few fans did notice yeah, yeah. those Darren England. Just on the ref thing, though, I wasn't being like sort of, um, you know... Um sort of trying to be jokey earlier. It would be quite nice if we got to a position where, like, everyone had a favourite ref. I don't know, maybe maybe that will never happen because of, like, the um, the roles they play. But I don't know. Do you think if the, the quality of refs were better, that you'd get a scenario where you're like, oh, we've got Graham Scott this weekend. Oh, cool. We're going to have a fair game. Or will that just never happen? It does feel a bit like we're in an era of completely faceless referees. There's there's no charisma in any of them. I think if you go back over the Premier League years, you can pick pinpoint you know certain referees that had an influence whether you like them or not. I mean, our mate mate Mark Clappenberg, for example, was probably the last of the... Mike Dean. Yeah, Mike, oh, Mike Dean, yeah, obviously. I mean, yeah, that's a good yeah. shout. Um, but you knew, yeah, you knew what you got. I, to be honest, at the moment, that, that they're all, they all sort of merge into one of it for me. But that, that they might argue that's good. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit like politicians better. all going to the same college at Oxford. Yeah. It's like the refs have all been bred in the same. It's a bit, it's a bit robo ref. And I think where's yeah. robo ref and bar does play into that. Yeah. Um, it's moving that way, isn't it? The whole. Yeah. But they, they, then you commonly get, if you watch European football across the, the weekend or, or throughout your week, you often hear comments about, you know, England has the best calibre of referees. So God knows what they're watching in other leagues, but <laughs> hey. I think we've probably spent too much time talking about rest. And I, yeah, I, yeah, okay. I, I do hate bemoaning referees because I do fully appreciate how difficult a job it is. But yeah, I, I just felt this one warranted it a little bit. But yeah, well, it I is a say, little bit rubber ref. Shout out for favourite ref. I can't really look past your eye, Rennie, to be honest. What a guy. 
Uriah Rennie really got a lot of stick it back in the day. A yeah, lot be, of stick. You wouldn't mess with him, would you? Wasn't you he wouldn't. a black belt in karate? Every, every, the start of every game, they would say, black belt in karate, Uriah Rennie, or something like <laughs> that. if he's ever going to use that in a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steve Bennett was from Auburn. He was a Palace fan, wasn't he? Yeah. He, yeah really? From, yeah. Yeah, I think they've kind of taken away the personality of referees, you both say, by removing the geographic location from where they've come from. I used to like that when they used to say, you know, Steve Bennett, Kent, or someone like that. You know where they're from. There's a a massive debate over Anthony Taylor now, isn't there? Because... You know, is technically, is he technically an Altrincham fan? But he's actually, an everybody, fan. everybody knows he's Manchester United. Um, allegedly, he says, right, just okay. in case. Uh, right. covering. Just in case but the, but, but it's then it's no, you know, he, so he can't official. He can't be the referee for Manchester United games. But but then, should he be allowed to referee Newcastle games because they're well, in direct I've competition? Always, with I've games. always thought this or rivals or I don't yeah. know what this is. Mike, it goes down. Michael Oliver. Michael Oliver was at the League Cup final in, in the Newcastle end. So ever since he was pictured doing that and people that knew beforehand are now saying, should he be riffing any picture United, that relates yeah. to anyone it's, in the top four race? It was like, a fair question. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. probably one for a spin-off. We've got, we got a long summer, lads, I, so actually, plenty of spin-off I want, episodes. I'd want, I'd want a referee to have a have a have have his own club. I really would. Yeah. I, I, I find yeah. it... I find it really odd when I... I mean, there are football writers out there, journalists out there, who claim they don't support a club. I, to me, that's just weird. I, I, I don't know. I think you have to have a... Well, you're a fan kind of the of game. Attack. You're probably a fan of the club. You're, it's all about the love. That's why any of us get into yeah. doing any of this thing related to football. Um, yeah, I, I think... I'd imagine... I think you're right, though, that that is one of the elements that's that's made refs less... Uh, harder to, to relate to, and thus probably easier to hammer like we do on like, like all football fans do on most pods because they are almost dehumanized yeah in a way mm-hmm. without getting too without getting too harsh into it very interesting though i would happily talk about that again um over the summer um at some point but let's have a quick break and when we come back we've got questions from our listeners My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Ask Sherwin-Williams during the sweet summer sale, June 30th through July 10th, and get 30% off paints and stains with prices starting at $31.14. That means 30% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 30% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. 
Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to the Fabric Pan Podcast. Wee. Wee. It's Wee. part two, which is questions from our listeners. We're going to dive straight in with a question from Ash Smith, 84, Ash. me. Ash. Hello, hello, Ash Smith, 84, me. Um, should we now just focus on the positives? We're safe and we didn't play badly. Kane is a world-class striker. No shame in that goal at all. Let's look forward now start thinking about Roy's, where does Roy's statue go? Just outside Sainsbury's, <laughs> maybe. Wow, that ramped up a lot, that question. Um, but as he, as he says, Jack, as Ash says, we are positive. Sorry, we are safe. Um, and there are positives to take, aren't there, from where we are currently? Yeah, as I said in the first bit, that game won't stay in the memory for a very long time. Um, so, you know, as a result of the rest of the fixtures this weekend, we're, we're safe for another season. And that's, you know, going to be 11 seasons in the Premier League in a row, which when we promoted on that sunny day 10 years ago, I don't think any of us would have believed that. It's an unbelievable achievement. Um, I think I saw on Twitter, might be our friend Mike Wicks here, who put that we've been in the top flight for 18 years of our history, including next season, um, 11 of which were in this consistent run. So we really have not had it yeah. better than this in terms of what we're seeing on the pitch. And uh, great achievement, you know, that that period of time towards the end of Patrick Vieira's time when we were so concerned about what what the rest of the season would bring and 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 you know relatively comfortably here we are looking at the relegation battle from afar and, and planning ahead for next season. So it's it's a, a great turnaround and yeah, there were elements of, of Saturday where I think Roy's management of the game could be questioned, but all in all, what an amazing impact he's had and 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 brilliant to be looking at, you know, Bournemouth, Fulham and and uh, and Forest with a, a very from a very relaxed position and and yeah, in, in hope of picking up some more points rather than needing to pick those points up. Yeah, three games left, so the end of the season's come quickly. Um, Dom, where does Roy's statue go? I imagine it probably has to go on the forecourt ahead of the newly built main stand Lovely. next to the one of Wilf. Yeah, that's 
That maybe Steve maybe, as well. Let's get Steve in there as well. Why not? Three of them. What arms around each other? Like that one outside the main night is. Uh, yeah, Old Trafford. Yeah. They got where? Where is? Yeah. Where, where is Selzy's going? <laughs> given question. that he, given that he, kind of masterminds all this. Yeah, fair <laughs> point. Maybe all four of them then: Selzy, Steve, what Wolf, and, the Fab uh, Four, and Roy. Yeah, what a guy! Imagine that. That'd be what fantastic. Um, does Roy deserve a statue, <laughs> Dom? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a half serious question. It's not really, but given you know, given he's now kept us up again five years now. I don't know about statues, but uh, but that said, I I remember how I how concerned I was, and I think I expressed it on on the pod at the time, towards the end of and after immediately after Patrick Vieira's departure. Um, it was not a guarantee that Roy Hodgson was going to come in and lift those players immediately. Yeah, just just wasn't, and I think the. The impact that he's had and the the galvanizing effect and restorative effect of some of those players. I mean, look how Eberichieze plays now when he wasn't getting a look in previously. He has he has he has managed in most of the games and really in all of the games because I think we've really we have played some nice stuff within all the matches, including Wolves and Spurs mm-hmm. in possession. Um he, he's managed to integrate these players into the setup, into the team. And that was something that we were struggling to do previously. It was just, that was the reality of it, that as there wasn't getting a look in um, under Patrick Vieira. So I think it's a, a fantastic achievement. I know people will sort of turn around and say, well, the fixtures are easier. Yeah, they are. They, they were. But the, he picked, he inherited a squad whose confidence was on the floor. And I still think it's incredible of all the things that he's done since he came back, you know, winning 5-1 at Leeds and you know, deflating Southampton to the extent that they look condemned now and um, the, the fantastic football we played against West Ham as well. But I, I think that first half, despite the fact it was goalless against Leicester, mm-hmm. where we just peppered their goal incessantly, I think that just set the tone. And it needed something like that just to sort of remind us that actually we've got really good, talented players and they all want to go out and express themselves. And he gave them that opportunity to do that. And in a in a situation where the pressure was on, where a lot of that confidence and belief had been choked by a, a miserable run of one win in 17 matches. And for, to coax that, that out of that squad, I think, is was fantastic in the first, first um, game on his return, and he's maintained that, really. I fully expect them to, to finish the season at a gallop now, and previously it was going to be a stagger. Yeah, well, well beautifully said. Um, and in fact, on that, KC Spoon 11, hi KC, uh, oh. says, with, with three games left, what chain of results would you consider successful? Or is survival successful enough? Personally, I think anything less than five points would be underwhelming. I mean, they're not going to be easy games, are they, Jack? And in fact, we were talking off air that there might be a scenario where Forrest has something to play for on the final game of the season, but um, they might hopefully might be quite enjoyable games for Palace fans, given the pressures off, certainly from our end. Yeah, two at home and, and Fulham away who are playing with the, the handbrake off, as it were, as well, given their um, their performances in recent week, no no less so than yesterday against, uh, or no more so than yesterday against Leicester. So, yeah, they could be good games of football, actually, with with the, with the pressure off. Um, albeit Forrest uh, could very much need something from the last day of the season, but um, I just yeah, just going back to that. I, I mean, I, in answer to the question, I, I think yeah, forty to finish on forty five points or above 
um, would be a remarkable achievement given where we were yeah. um, after the Brighton game, or particularly after the Arsenal game. Um, and the 10 games from when Roy came on, that would be 18 points from from 10 games, which would be a fantastic return. So, um, yeah, anything above that, what would that be? Uh, winning two draws or, you know, two wins and put us on to 46? Um, I think, yeah, if we... Is 49 our highest points tally in the Premier League? I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. That would be amazing, um, given the jeopardy that we were facing no... Um, uh, not too long ago. So, yeah, that, that would be amazing. And the fixes do present an opportunity to pick up three wins on the bounce. But I I, I don't know, sceptical as to whether that will happen. It'd be such an amazing return. But, yeah, anything around 45 points would be a fantastic return from from Roy. And um, I think we could part ways at the end of the season if we do part ways. And maybe we'll talk about that. Um, but, yeah, would be an amazing way to part ways with, with Roy and um, really celebrate the uh, the impact that he's had. Uh, Don, what's a successful return then from those fixes for you? I know we're talking about Bournemouth later on, but um, or are you not fast? Pressure's off. To be perfectly honest, and I, I know I'll get accused of uh, bringing the other mob into it here, but all I all I care about now is finishing above Chelsea. <laughs> if that's forty three that. points, I'll take that. Yeah, just want to finish above Chelsea. It's been too long. Nineteen ninety one since the last time. I think it's, but it's, it's on though, isn't it? Is, it is on. Well, it is. I was a bit disappointed that. Bournemouth sort of rolled over so obligingly at the weekend. Um, a point in that one might have been better. Two points, even at this stage of the season, two points is is, is quite a bit considering. I think they, they, their next home games against Forest, yeah, so they might look to win that. And then you've really got you've got to win two matches. Um, but you know Newcastle, Man City, and Man United are Chelsea's other fixtures, so they, it is on. Yeah, um, but we just we yeah I I just want to finish above them. That's that's a be all and end all. It would be great. And it's amazing to be having that conversation when, you know, we could very much be in a different position. And you look at the results over the weekend, West Ham winning, Everton winning, uh, Forest winning. There's a very realistic situation where we are still looking at those results and thinking, oh, my God, how does that impact us? And, you know, I I texted you guys last night about it, just watching that Forest game, being like, how lovely is it to watch this with absolutely no, no bearing on Palace this season whatsoever? Um, relegation great re- relegation battles are great when you're not in them and, and watching it from afar and it's starting to throw up some results that nobody would have seen you know you look at Leicester and you think they probably should have thought they would get something from Fulham um, and then on the other hand you think how have Everton gone to Brighton the mighty Brighton um, and put five past them with relative ease I mean it could have been could have been more really how dominant they were when they did threaten but they played with such little possession that you know, Brighton basically played themselves to death in that game. And um, there's some really odd, odd results coming out. And uh, it is just great to be watching it from afar with uh, with little impact on our season now. Yeah. The end of the season does make teams do weird things. And last night, very much was an example of that. But as you say, nice to watch it from afar. Um, given that League One has now finished, uh, James Jeffrey says, is there scope for getting Jez Rakseki in the squad for the remainder of the games? No. Seeing as he's our most informed striker <laughs> <laughs> uh, off the bench against Bournemouth for 15 20 to go. I think uh, they can't, think. can they, because of 25 man squad rules? Or uh, Yeah, whether that is, or it's the agreement of his loan, in that he's probably been loaned until the end of the actual playing season to accommodate playoffs. I don't think there's a facility for us to break that. So um, he's probably on his holidays already. He's also played. 50 plus games this season. He, he probably, probably last thing he wants to do is, is play a little bit more. Although, obviously, if you said to him you're going to play some first team Premier League football, he'd jump at it. But um, yeah, he's he's very much earned his uh, his summer holidays. But as we as we mentioned last week, some uh, interesting 
considerations for what the next steps are for Jess Raksaki. Yeah, what would you do, you'd do with Raksaki next season, Dom, if you were um, Steve and or manager of Palace, whoever that is? Well, I guess a lot of it would depend on who you've been able to recruit over the summer and whether you've been able to retain Wilfred Zaha. But if you, if you are if you have strengthened in attacking areas and Zaha stays at the club, then I would send Raksaki to a championship team for 12 months. Yeah. Ipswich, Ipswich linked with him over the weekend. Yeah. Which would be a very good shout because they play good attacking yeah. football as well. Good young coach, score lots of goals. So he'd be um, he'd be very well suited to a move there. Speaking of the championship, Jack MK says, who would the panel like to see to win the playoffs? And then Anna Mondrell has simply put Millwall and then six cry laughing emojis. <laughs> oh. Maybe I'll come on to Millwall in terms of um, <laughs> winners and losers in a bit, but um, it's a great set of, uh, I mean, Middlesbrough are the only club that have had a recent, I mean, Sunderland not too long ago, but six years, but given they've been relegated to League One, Coventry and Luton, the other two. Um, it's an interesting foursome, isn't it? Well, Luton would be the, it would be their first spell in the, in the Premier League, as it were, although I think they were at the, maybe not at the table, but they were part of the conversation when the Premier League was formed, given their prominence in Division One back in the day. Um, but they've never played in the Premier League and there's obviously the, all the hilarious memes on social media about Luton's away end, so that could be quite fun. Um, but I actually think the story of Coventry would um, would probably be the best of the lot, given the job that Mark Robbins has done, the the fact the club of all the fans have followed the club through thick and thin over the last few years, not having their own home for a, a number of seasons within that period, um, and that would be, yeah, nobody gave them a chance at the start of the season. So yeah, I probably fancy Coventry, or probably no, I, don't, I don't fancy Coventry. I, I'd like Coventry to to come up. I mean, Luton away would be well, it'd be interesting. I don't know how fun it would be. I actually think Luton away might be chaos, actually. But um, obviously, it'd be fun going through the the back door. What about Sunderland story, Dom? I mean, also, we all watched the documentary. We'll just we'll just we'll just gloss over that comment. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that that was a bit that was a bit bit matron. It was a bit carry on, wasn't it? So, yeah. Sorry, um, I meant I meant uh, so I meant going through someone's front living room is what I meant to say in the, the words. The words got wrong because I was Googling the championship table. Um, if we're talking about stories then, Dom, yes. I mean, Sunderland, Sunderland's re- re- revival, recovery in recent years, being so close back to the Premier League again is, is is an interesting one too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After so many near misses from League One um, to get promoted last season under Alex... Alex Neal. Alex Neal, that's it. Yeah. And then for Tony Mowbray to maintain that this season is is something but. I think that pales into insignificance compared to what Luton have been through in recent seasons, to be honest. I mean, mm. to have been in, in non-league football not that long ago um, and and just moted the other divisions, found replacements for Nathan Jones whenever he's he's upped and left. Yeah. Um, was it Mick Harford manager Watford. again at one point? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and he's he's had his own issues. I mean, he, he's mm. he, health-wise, and for him to still be... Out that I, I I love I love everything about the Luton Town story. I, during lockdown, I think I must have told you this before. Um, during lockdown, one of the projects that I had was to go and do the uh, operate the scoreboard and do the artificial crowd noise that they pumped into the stadium during <laughs> Kenilworth Road for 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 a game against Reading. And um, they, I mean, they were one of the few clubs. They, they tried to give their players a bit of a sense of the atmosphere by having this noise pumped in through the PA system. Obviously, in, inadequately, but but better than the alternative. Um, 
And uh, I was meant to sort of put the cheers up every time Luton scored. And Reading won 5 0. <laughs> Did you do any cheers? No, <laughs> there were no cheers to be had that day at all. But it was, uh, yeah, and that was a club that was struggling to stay in the championship, really. And they did really well to to do that in the end under under Nathan Jones, but for them to have motored through this uh, playoffs last year and then everything they've done, I think it's incredible. I think it's amazing. I'm really rooting for them to. And I, and I really like Mark Robbins as well. He's a really a good a good man. He's done an incredible job. And you're right, Jack. That their fans have been through all manner of issues mm. there with the stadium and Rico, etc. But uh, but Luton, yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely. Well, the manager and the manager's got a great story there as well. Started the season at Watford. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, oh, next Rob, Watford um, manager, Rob yeah. Edwards. Edwards. Yeah. Next oh, Palace lovely. player. God. Next Palace Yes, next Loney, Yeah. Oh my God! Yes. Oh, you're winning me round now to the Luton. <laughs> and it would really annoy Watford fans. I mean, that's just a great story. In, in you know less than twelve months, he's gone from managing Watford, deemed not good enough, to to leading Luton to you know comfortably third place. Yeah. Know, yeah. You know, Borough well, very it. much third third place there, and and yeah, they've got a real shot because Sunderland, Sunderland are exciting, but there's not a lot of experience in that team. And if you know anything about the playoffs, experience in a squad is helpful, given uh, given the the trials and tribulations that the playoff bring. There's some stat about Luton's Pelly Ruddock, I think his name is, that if they go up, Hill is he's the only player that's gone with them from non-league. I think. Oh right. Like that. That's a great story. Citation needed there, but um, oh, okay. I know he's a very popular figure there at Luton as well. Anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, on a Palace link, just uh, look forward to the fourteen thousand loyalty points you'll need to for an away ticket. Uh, yeah, quite, quite exactly. <laughs> You're more chance befriending the person. The uh, scramble starts in now. the away end. Yeah, yeah. The scramble <laughs> and starts then go now. Go for tea. Those yeah, those, no, those gnomes will be like gold dust in the club shop. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, let's wrap up part, uh, questions there for part two. Thanks very much to all our listeners uh, for those. Um, and when we come back, winners and losers. Podcast. Wee. Pod four seventy two. It's time for winners and losers, which is now public uh, available bit. Uh, so lucky you lot. Uh, where we pick our winners and losers from the weekend game. We're going to start with losers slash loser Jack. Which is a very uh, disappointing scenes that were captured on TV of Son walking off and a Palace fan from the away end making a racist gesture towards him other fans giving son the, the usual kind of hand gestures you'd you'd and i hate all that anyway when when opposition players get that but this, this guy one particular guy did cross the line i know the club have come out very quickly with a statement um against it lots of palace people online of course obviously condemning it saying this isn't us but unfortunately at the weekend it was and it's a very disappointing thing to see you know given how proud we are of the multi-diversity of our club in terms of Certainly it's area and it's playing squad. Yeah, uh, as you say, it's um, something a lot of fans are very quick to say. It's, it's not us, but yeah, it, it unfortunately was uh, was on Saturday and um, and that one fan needs to be dealt with as, as quickly as possible by the by the club. And it's very reassuring to see how strong a statement the club and how quickly they issued it. 
they will deal with that the way they need to, I'm sure, once the evidence is um, provided. It's just very disappointing. And I, I, I was towards the back of my block on um, on Saturday and noticed Son walking around and he was getting awful abuse from, from the front of the away end as most players that, that do now have to kind of take that walk when they're rushed off the pitch by by the referee. In fact, going back to Darren England, it was the only thing that Darren England kind of annoyed Spurs fans by asking Son to walk off there. But yeah, and, and, and again, and seemingly uh, led to this situation. But yeah, absolutely awful to see. Um, really, really disappointing. Instances like this in Palace's away and are fewer, or Palace home or away and are, are very few and far between, thankfully. But when when you do see things like that, and it just really brings a, a sour taste to the to the experience of following your team. And uh, yeah, just got to hope it's dealt with as, as quickly as possible, but incredibly disappointing. It, I did see Dom and, and Jack's right. They are few and far between, but they, they do happen. And I did see a few people on Twitter talking about other instances at home and away games of them reporting stuff like this to stewards and not getting done. But actually a DM from one Palace fan saying a home game recently, he heard something uh, that was horrendous, reported to Stuart. The guy got chucked out next home game. He was back again. And the guy was very disappointed at Palace not actually taking this kind of thing. Seriously, we know clubs talk a lot about this and they you know, talk a lot about eradicating it from the game. I know it's not an overnight thing. I know this thing takes a while and sometimes it takes a while for, for the, the sort of change of, of the culture of away ends and home ends sometimes for fans. But, um, you'd like to think that clubs and authorities and whoever deals with it do come down as hard as possible because without that kind of, um, what's what I'm looking for punishment or, you know, the opposite of what incentive then I don't know how else to get rid of it. It's, it is difficult. Not that difficult. You get rid of him. Yeah. You just, you just, it's not, what's difficult if somebody, I suppose the, I mean, there's, there is evidence here. We, we've seen footage of this incident. <laughs> this beggar's belief really, doesn't it? To be honest. But anyway, yeah, you, there is evidence out there. And maybe if if the maybe if the the situation that you've described there and the, with the DM maybe if, if that similar type of evidence didn't exist and it was a a case of one word against another then it's mm-hmm. that makes it more complicated as as a procedure but I'm, there has to be zero tolerance and all this stuff there has to be otherwise it won't change um, utterly moronic is the only way I can describe what 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 was very clear and obvious on that on that video and yeah disappointing because inevitably inevitably and unfairly but inevitably the fan base as a whole gets tarnished by the actions of complete idiots like that yeah no you're absolutely right and and obviously with the evidence that guy's probably uh, hopefully um, easy to uh, track down and a lifetime ban I suspect will be uh, incoming but when I said difficult I did I did you were right I did mean more like the, the, the sort of DM because um, I guess otherwise you're getting to scenario where fans are trying to sort of film each other and, and and it's really hard you're asking then fans to kind of police police it and and they're there to watch a game and if you don't have evidence then I don't yeah, know I'm, I'm sort of tying myself in knots here if, a little bit if 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 fellow, I'd like to think that if fellow fans heard witnessed racist abuse happening by even by one of their own, they would call it out. And I think that does happen more and more now. Um, slightly different on this one, I, I, to a certain extent. I mean, everybody seemed to be 
everybody was looking at, at the pitch. Everybody was looking at Son. Mm. Um, so presumably there, there weren't people turning around and looking at this bloke doing what he was doing. Um, but it has to. We have to all go to games, and if we hear stuff or see stuff like that, we have to report it. We have to, and it's not just a, a matter of reporting it to a steward who is probably, with the greatest respect underpaid mm. on his own or her own and you can't expect them necessarily to go into a you know a way end or a home end or whatever and, and, and extricate somebody who is behaving in this way um because that is well it's asking a lot physically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not anything else but yeah we all we can do is is call people out for this nonsense and and yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 shameful, really. That's what it is. Shameful. And there are obviously the, the text text lines and stuff that, that yeah. I guess that made it. I saw people on Twitter, Dom, talk, some people saying, or some journos, I think, saying, should they be not making fan home players walk in front of away fans? That that maybe well, that might. I don't know. I mean, it's if I was Son, I would probably have taken the long way round on that particular incident. I mean, not least because you're. You're basically guaranteeing yourself two thirds of a stadium giving you a load of applause, mm. um, but I don't know the scenario. I, mean, I imagine that in the heat of the moment, you just you're probably disappointed that he's not on the pitch and and probably a bit peed off that he can't shit house a bit more time out the game by uh, walking across the pitch. Um, and so I don't know. It's, it maybe he just wasn't. He, he, he didn't. I thought it was bad. I mean, like I know I don't expect Palace fans to to like Son Kung Min. I mean, there's no reason to. He's 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 hurt us enough times in the past for us to dislike him. But I thought the level of abuse that he was subjected to seemed quite brutal on that. It, and it, it did seem quite a lot from you know had he, had uh, he, had he, towards the back. Had he been Billy? diving or no, had no, he, I, I think a reason? I, I do think it was it was part of the groundswell of the whole Darren England managing the game. I think the atmosphere was was increasingly toxic in the away end because there was this yeah. perceived, mm. yeah, perceived unfairness of, of Darren England's management of the game. Um, and I, I actually commented at the time that Son shouldn't have been able to, or shouldn't have been asked to walk around a, an away section, which was clearly um, quite, quite cross, uh, not necessarily at Son. At the time, I noticed Son smirking. I don't know if he if he saw the gesture. I don't know if that's how it's been reported or or, or what, but he, he seemed to smirk. I think he was a little bit perplexed at the degree of, uh, annoyance kind of aimed at him by the palace uh, palace section, but yeah, you're right, Dom. It was it was a lot, and I've been in many away ends and not noticed us give away or opposition players that mm. degree of grief. So it, it did seem a bit out of out of sync with our typical behaviour. But I do think it it probably came about from sorry the broad behaviour, not this particular uh, moronic um, instance of, of the individual. But um, yeah, I, I do think the the atmosphere was was probably created by. The, the ten or fifteen minutes or so that it kind of was within. I, I have to. I do. I hate all the giving up players' grief and yeah. I just don't. For me, I, just, I'm not, I don't care about the opposition players. I only would care about Palace players. So why would I be giving them my yeah. energy? I just don't really he, get it. He's he busy barely, giving them grief, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he barely impacted the game. He, you know, he's having a very, very quiet season by his his very high standards, and then he didn't, you know, a couple of decent runs up the pitch and got Spurs up the pitch quite quickly at times, but didn't impact the game necessarily. So, yeah, there wasn't a particular moment that you would think Palace fans could lay any particular blame at his door. So, yeah, 
all, all very odd in terms of the atmosphere. But yeah, the particular behaviour is um, is shameful, as Dom said. Yes, agreed. Um, uh, and we're going to move on to winners now. In fact, um, were there any winners, Jack? <laughs> Just in, in terms of Palace, quick mention for Tariq Mitchell. That was his hundredth appearance for for Palace. I think we should should give a nod for that. He actually had a very decent game. I thought. I, I thought he was probably caught out of position um, in terms of the goal, which obviously is the defining moment. He's probably uh, narrower than he would want, and 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 Roy and Ray would want him to be. But actually, I thought throughout the ninety minutes he had a, a very good game, and he looks far more composed on the ball than he did at times under Patrick Vieira. And I do think. Um, he he's, he certainly is one of those players that's benefited from a change of of manager. He looks far more like the player that that he looked like under Patrick Vieira in his first season when he was um, rewarded with an England call up into England cap. So really pleased for him. Hundred hundred appearances shouldn't be um, kind of ignored either. That's a great achievement for someone at his age. So um, yeah, credit to Tyreek. And I thought Wilf had had a good game. I think again, just back from his injury, I thought. He showed that it really doesn't take too much time for him to get up to speed. Showed some lovely touches. Um, you know, mentioned Porro earlier, but had, who did have a very good game for Spurs, but he absolutely murdered him in the second half with a couple of bits of skill where I don't think Porro knew which way was up. And uh, yeah, just hopefully just savouring savoring every Wilf moment um, in, in view of what might happen this summer. Well, leave that dangling out there. Um, Dom, any winners for you? <laughs> Ooh, Metron again. Another one. What's going on with you today? <laughs> you're it's you're the one that's translating it like that, Jack. I'm just I'm just no every listener out there. Thank every you, listener. listener probably, every yeah. listener. Thank you, thank you, listener. Yes, in okay. your car, in your living, wherever you're listening. I'll try and stop, but I can't promise. I will. Um, Dom, anyone, uh, anyone get worthy of the winner tag of this week? It's tricky, isn't that. it? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess you could you could argue maybe 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 just. I don't know, Roy and Ray for getting us over the line mathematically, but yeah, you know, that's, even that's a bit, <laughs> it's felt safe the last couple of weeks, isn't it? Really? Um, yeah, a little bit deflating, really. I don't know. Um, like, there's nothing else. I mean, Sam Johnson made a very nice save from Son at his feet. Oh, that was a very good save. Yes, you're right. That, yeah. Yes, that was excellent. I yeah. don't know whether in the, in the second half, that, yeah, when he kind of gone round him, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. I don't know whether that's, I don't know whether that's worthy of a of a, of a winner because I think he might be a bit annoyed at the goal concession, but 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 yeah, like it's it, you know it's our bog standard one nil away defeat at, at Tottenham Hotspur, isn't it? So uh, well, it's normally about three or four. So actually, I'd say it's an <laughs> it's an improvement. Yeah, well, I, that's I, kind I, of that that's, that did annoy a few people. That kind of. Rhetoric did annoy a few people that Roy was a bit grateful for the one nil defeat. Could have been a lot worse. And I think a lot of people kind of yeah got reminded that Roy, the diplomat, can sometimes be to the detriment of of, <laughs> of his own fans, sometimes by telling telling fans some of who have paid good money to to travel for a game to be grateful for a one nil. I don't think he obviously meant it like that, no, but no, that's no, how no. some fans have chosen to chosen to take it. But yeah. You had another winner potentially lined up, Jack, didn't you? Place of Blackburn. Does play for Black. <laughs> I, I I got home uh, yesterday from a from a weekend away and uh, turned on at three one Millwall and thought, oh, okay, well, have to deal with them through the playoffs. Um, only to watch what I have to describe as a thoroughly enjoyable forty five minutes. So my winner this week is Ben Burton Diaz, who ended his time at Blackburn Rovers as a Palace legend. So uh, <laughs> cheers, Ben. <laughs> 
it was unbelievable. I mean, they had done all the hard work this season. You know, it's a very hard division to get into the top six. Uh, it's very tight in kind of positions five to nine, but they're in the box seat ahead of yesterday. And then they get to half time, even, you know, even more secure in their place. And I mean, I think it's an overused phrase in terms of bottling things, but you have to say that that Millwall bottled it to 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 lose 4-3 when you're 3-1 up and, and getting to where you want to get to and losing 4-3 to a team who had nothing to play for other than pride and ending the season. And that's why I highlight Ben Burris Diaz because I, I I sense that he just wanted to end his time at Blackburn. Blackburn had something to play for. Blackburn, if they'd well, won I, and other results had gone well, for them, they, they could get... They could I only, you, you are right, but I only say that because at the time when Blackburn were 3-2, I think Sunderland were already 3-0 up. Yeah. That, that kind of game done and, in that sense. But 15 goal goal difference swing. 15 yeah. goals. But, but Millwall, <laughs> I mean, and then they had to come out and do their kind of end of season. Oh, that's always good. Walk around as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Jim, I don't know if we can kind of play in the uh, the Millwall blogger who at 3-1 said what he said. If you could just play that into now, that might give everyone a, a slight chuckle. That was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, if I remember, yeah. If, if you remember, listen, if you've listened to this and he hasn't done it, apologies. It's, <laughs> it's not worth it. You'll find it on my social media. <laughs> Yeah, that is, I, I, I'm, I was truly shocked that they blew it because they'd done all the hard work up to half time and uh, yeah, threw it all away. Oh, they'll, they'll they'll do well because that's this is the third season in a row where they've been very very close, no closer than this. But they'll do very well to keep some of the players that have have got them. They've had a very good centre half on loan from Leeds, Charlie Cresswell. He's He's been very good for them. He'll go back to Leeds, probably in the championship. Um, and they won't get him again. Zion Fleming, who's, you know, they they bought for Mali last summer, has done very well. He'll be um, attracting interest. And Gary Rowett will also be attracting interest from other clubs in the championship. So, yeah, you, you feel that was a real moment for Millwall and um, they didn't do it. But anyway, hi to all of our friends at the Millwall Cafe. <laughs> Ten years today, wasn't it? Or yesterday? since Ten that. years this month. Yeah, 10 since years that, this month. Since that, I had yeah. that. Fantastic. Yeah. See, uh, see you soon. Or will we? I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, lovely stuff. Right, let's take a break after that. When we come back, final part of the podcast, going to preview Bournemouth at home. Bournemouth at home uh, on Saturday. Um, I was about to say two teams with nothing to play for. Let me just check the Premier League table. Yeah, two teams with nothing to play for, really. I mean, they're nine points clear of 18th. Big games to go. It would take something drastic for them to get dredged into it. Do we think, Dom, that we'll see a repeat of the um, 5-3 stunner that we saw a couple of years ago? Yeah. Well, God, I hope so. That was, that was a tremendous game of football but I, I don't think it'll be easy actually against against Bournemouth they, they've been 
they've been a real revelation of this season, and particularly, really, since we beat them at their place. Um, mm. Actually, maybe a few games after that, like looking at their fixtures. They look, when they lost at lost at Brighton, and the first first week in February. Um, but but since then they've they've put together one two three four five six seven victories in the Premier League, including you know winning the games that, that actually mattered you know winning at Southampton, amazing performance at, at Tottenham, winning at Leicester, um, uh, just and and that's not even including the the performance they put in at Arsenal where they were you know cruising at one point and looked as if they were actually going to take points off the league leaders at the time so. It's it, Gary O'Neill has done an, uh, an amazing job there, albeit with a mid-season takeover and significant investment in January. And that's a, that's the intriguing thing that I, I think about this fixture. They have an American owner at, at Bournemouth who is pouring money into that club, and furnishing the, the the team with with signings of you know 20 million pound plus i don't know how he gets his money back at bournemouth if i'm honest 14000 or 16000 capacity whatever it is at the vitality stadium obviously premier league status and, and maybe they will become more self sustainable in in time if they if they are a mid table premier league team that some of that revenue that comes in through media rights could go to towards paying back some of these this money that's been spent uh, and the like. But it, it from the outside looking in, and it's only from the outside looking in, it's incredibly skin deep. This it looks as if it's a very different American uh, level of American ownership than Crystal Palace have got to a certain extent with <laughs> some of their American owners. Um, and and that is a contrast, and and it, I, it goes back to I mean everything about Palace's development still that hasn't changed as far as I'm concerned. It's it's all about what happens with the ownership in the summer, and uh, how the how the purse strings are, are loosened to allow the club to kick on and, and fill in the, the clear and obvious gaps in the squad. Bournemouth they did that mid-season okay they did it because they were struggling and they were going to go down and they didn't do it but they they did do it Mm -hmm. Uh, they are a club with clear ambition to stay at this level and to compete at this level and that's relative to what they want to do palace are established at this level and want to kick on to the next do palace take the same approach with their ownership model as bournemouth did i don't know we'll see is uh is gary neville uh, gary neville gary o'neill Towards the top of your contenders for manager of the season, Dom. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be because the context. Remember what Scott Parker was saying. He he basically let himself leave a job because he <laughs> had no hope of keeping them up. By by all accounts, I cannot Amazing. keep this team in the division. They're not good enough. The players aren't good enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were they were that? struggling. In as many they, words, after the Liverpool game, yeah, yeah, right. when they got beat nine. I mean, it's it's that we you know Scott Parker might have work miracles with the players that were bought in January as well, possibly. Possibly he's got more managerial experience than, than Gary O'Neill. But O'Neill has to have done that. Because they looked when we beat them up, we played them off the park at their place. Yeah. It was such yeah. an easy away win. So comfortable. And a, and a team in a team that, that didn't win again for months after that. And they didn't win played... again again under that manager. I mean it's yeah. they they played at they put Brentford on I think Saturday night football. And it was one of the dullest 
kind of accepting of defeats I've seen this season. And, and O'Neill, I think that might have been in January before they kind of spent the money yeah, towards January. the end of the transfer window. Yeah. And he just struck me as a man who had had his impact and would likely be replaced, as we've seen with with other clubs this season. So to kind of have that second wind again, because he did a decent job at sustaining them before Christmas, before the World Cup. He, they got some wins at Everton. They they thumped at home just before the World Cup and and things like that. But I, I felt he'd probably run his course. So to have that yeah second win, as I said, and go again and put them in this position of you know Premier League security with games to spare is... Is a huge achievement, um, and he's probably exceeded his own expectations. It's it's been a an incredible season for them, and uh, yeah, I, I'm incredibly surprised. I I think most people had them as certainties to go down before the start of the season, and then the first few games, but no 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 more obvious than the nine 0 defeat at, at Liverpool. Um, people probably, I think, I wouldn't be surprised if Paddy Power paid out on them at that point, to be honest. <laughs> but um, yeah, unbelievable turnaround, and they're. They're sitting just behind us on 39 points. So, yeah, huge credit to Gary O'Neill. They've, they've won their last three away games in the Premier League. Have they? Well. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I really don't think mm. this one's going to be in it. When we were talking about points, additional points, I, I I I wouldn't take a point. You never want to take a point at home against Bournemouth. But I, I do think this will be a very, very challenging game on Saturday for sure. Yes, I think it will too. What, what sort of lineup are we expecting, Dom? I mean, we know Roy doesn't tend to change very often. Um, there was no bigger missions on the weekend that I can think of. Was there? So pretty much the, uh, it's the same team, same team that the, played yeah. West Ham, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess at some point he might want to look at Nat Klein again at right back when he's when he's fully back up to speed after his recently may come back into the thinking at some point. Although I don't think Sam Johnson's done anything particularly wrong. Um, I don't think he's really at fault for the. The fragility that we have at at uh, corners at present, um, it's, that goes down to the more the average height of the team. But yeah, yeah it's, it, I suppose that then you're just asking whether he he tries an Edouard from the start instead of an I. But but you know, I, I, I don't think there'll be any big changes in it. I think I think this is a settled team now, and and one that you'd imagine would go into the last three games of the season, you know, hoping to. Will maintain momentum. Just, yeah. just talking about the team there, just and we didn't mention him in winners because you know other topics to talk about. But Czech Decore had another very good game yeah. on Saturday. Um, I think we talked about him enough after last week and the, the four three gym, but real player mixing it in a midfield with you know against someone like Hoiberg, who is you know very very good midfielder, and, and Czech Decore met him throughout the game and and then and, and and I would say probably came out on top in terms of that midfield battle. Excellent player. I mean I, I can't really see a weakness in him, to be honest. So I, I I'm I'm stunned at how good a player and how good a first season he's had. Uh, and on the day that the club announced um the end of season awards, I, I think he is probably streaking ahead in, in my mind as as player of the season, to be honest. Well we should definitely at some point on a future pod Talk about who we think our player of the season is because I think the awards are before the last game of the season, aren't they? Yeah, twenty fourth, I think they are. Yeah. All right. Week before that, we would we would do a little debate on the pod as who we think our player of the season is, uh, just for a bit of extra hashtag content. Um, but that's it for this week. Uh, so thanks both for being here. Lovely to have you on. Go and enjoy that espresso, Dom. It's gone oh, cold yeah. now. <laughs> it's gone yeah. cold. It's got banana split next to it. So that's all good. <laughs> Uh, have a banana split split really no no it was ice creams wasn't it it was like little wafers far, and... far grander than a banana split 
Can you Nothing get a, wrong with a banana split, mate. Can Come you on. get a banana split in a gelateria in the middle of Milan? I don't know. Could you? I don't ask, know where to find I'll, out. If, if you see him, if you see him, Dom. Yeah, ask him. Yeah, ask him. I'll ask him. Yeah, yeah that'll be I'll great. Ask him. Report back. Uh, Jack, great to have you on. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for letting the, the Darren England. I needed it. <laughs> you feel cathartic. I'm, I'm, feel I'm not being heard anymore at home about it, so it's nice to come. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we're here for, mate. That's what you. we're here for. Much appreciated. Uh, we're back next week after that uh, that Bournemouth game. Obviously, patrons get the post match pod at the weekend after that as well. Uh, but until then, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network.